It's that time, the Betting Predators Podcast, where I'm in objective is hunting down the best bets for you. I'm your host, Sleepy J. You guys can find me on Twitter at SleepyJ underscore pregame. Joined here by UFC expert, got Mean Gene in the house. You guys can find him on Twitter as well at Mean Gene. Double zero twenty two. You guys can always get us at thebettingpredators.com and on the best sports betting information site on the web, pregame.com. All right, Gene, here we go. UFC 270. We got Nagano. We got Gone. We'll be here live in Anaheim, California on Saturday night, pay-per-view. Uh, I don't know what you think about this card there, Gene, but I think it's a little bit weak. Now, there are some decent fighters on here. We got some uh, some names that we know. One of the prelim fights, a headliner, will be uh, Ilya Topora. So that should be a pretty decent one. But what I'm going to do, Gene, I'm going to be rather silent for this podcast. I'm going to talk a little bit about the title fight with Moreno and Figueredo, and then I'll talk a little bit about Nagano and Gon. But for the first three fights, I'm going to let you kind of shine here and take over because I just don't have a whole lot on the first three fights. So why don't we just go ahead and jump right in. We got Rodolfo Vieira. He's going to go ahead. He's going to fight Wellington Terman. Uh, right now, Vieira is right around minus 220 favorite. What are your thoughts on that fight? Yeah, so I, real quick, I do echo your sentiments on, on the card in general. You would think for a pay-per-view, they would have more meaningful fights, at least on the main card. I know COVID hit and, and uh, bumped some of these fights off, like the Taporia fight that was going to be a great one uh, against his original opponent. And uh, But this is what we're left with. So, we'll, like you said, we'll run through this really quick and get to the uh, – to the mean potatoes, which are the two title fights. So as for the Wellington uh, fight and the Rivera fight, or pardon me, Rodolfo fight, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting. Both these guys are black belts. Uh, Vieira is a black, he's called the black belt hunter. He, he's just on a different level uh, than Terman. It's going to be interesting to see the progression of Vieira. Vieira normally just comes in, tries to take you down and submit you and doesn't show any striking acumens. Well, in his last fight, he seemed to have picked up some some striking in training, you know, worked on his striking, I should say. And he, he looked good. You know, he ended up rocking his opponent, uh, Stolfis, and ended up submitting him in the third round. He had some um, he had some card- cardio issues earlier in his career. He seemed to have worked on that as well. Again, in his last fight, he was able to get to that third round and and, and looked like he still had some gas. Uh, Terman, Terman's just a, a solid striker. He has good power in his combos. He has a really good front kick to the body, which he's going to want to utilize against Vieira to, to try to drain that gas tank. I just think at the end of the day, Vieira we know what he's going to do. I mean, this guy's just on another level when it comes to his uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I think he's I think he's going to be able to stand for the first round and then look for the takedown in the second, third round and end up submitting uh, Terman here. It's definitely a tougher fight for him. It's a step up for him. He's he's pretty raw, Vieira. But at the end of the day, uh, I think that he gets a submission victory. And he, right now he's like a minus 200 favorite. You can actually get him at plus 120 to win by submission. He has seven wins in his career, and six of those wins have come via submission. That's his game. He's not knocking you out, although he showed some power in his last fight. He's looking for that submission. So I feel like that's a a great line to grab is that plus 120 Vieira to win by submission. All right, good stuff on that one. Strip over to Cody Stamen. He's going to go ahead. He's going to take on Saeed Nurmagomedov. Nurmagomedov, he's going to be minus 190. Uh, We've seen plenty of Cody Stamen in the past, but – uh, I haven't seen Nurmagomedov here, this fighter, in the ring in, a, in quite some time. So I'm curious what you think about this one. You know, you, you see the Nurmagomedov, the Dagestanian fighters, 
you, you figure it's going to be wrestling, but the East Coast fighters are mainly the strikers coming from the you know East Coast of Dagestan. The West Coast are, are the wrestlers. So you have Syed Nurmagomedov here coming from the, from the East Coast. He's a striker, fluid striker. He likes to stay um, kickboxing range, play on the outside. And he's also a solid grappler and wrestler naturally. But again, don't let that name fool you. He, he, he throws spinning kicks, spinning, spinning back elbows. He's he's fun to watch. And you have Stayman on the other side. You know, you know what he's going to try to do. He's going to try to grapple you, lay on you, and just grind out a decision victory on the feet. He's a meat and potatoes striker. Nothing special. Um, he's strong in the clinch, but. You know, Nurmagomedov should be able to pick Stamen apart from the outside. As long as Nurmagomedov stays away from Stamen in the sense of these long exchanges in the clinch or against the cage, he should be able to get the unanimous decision here. I don't think there will be a, a finish here. I just think it would just be a, a decision victory by Nurmagomedov. Um, and a quick caveat, you know, these these judges nowadays – you know, the old UFC, you could take a guy down, lay on him, and you win that round. It's not that way anymore. You're seeing a lot of these decisions, and it happened last week, where guys are getting taken down. It was the Brandon Royville fight against Bontarin. Bontarin took Royville down a bunch of times, but Royville was, was being active on the ground, trying to lock up submissions, scrambling. And, you know, I personally thought Bontarin won because he was doing some damage. But at the end of the day, the judges gave it to Royville because – you know, he was threatening submissions and being more active, even though he was on the bottom. So uh, if Cody, if Cody Stamen is just going to try to take this guy down, lay on him, he's not going to win. I mean, Nurmagomedov is going to do enough on the feet to get this victory. So um, my pick is Nurmagomedov here. All right. Good stuff on that one. Speaking of Bontarin, I think, I believe he might be on the next UFC. I think he's on UFC 271 or 272. He's on one of those main cards. So uh, we'll be talking about him shortly. How about Michelle Fajeda? Uh, he's going to go ahead. He's going to be minus 280 here, Gene, uh, against Andre Falejo. I'm not familiar with him. I know you had mentioned some things about some of these guys coming up um, that, that just aren't well known. So I'm guessing that you might think, uh, you know, Michelle Fajeda might actually take care of some business uh, in this one. Last time he was in the octagon, he was out there doing uh, somersault leaps and stuff like that. Like he's a, he's a nut, but it should be an interesting fight. At least, hopefully, you know, it's a fun one to watch, but pretty big favorite there for Fajeda. Yeah, I definitely think it's going to be a fun fight. Fajeda, Fialo fought in Bellator for a while. And the, and the guy's got, you know, he's also kind of a wild striker as well, but he likes to stay in boxing range. He's got KO power. He has no problem getting into a brawl, slugfest. And that's what Fajeda wants. Fajeda, as you said, he's a wild striker. He does these backflips and things of that nature. So when he first came in the UFC, that's what he was known for. You know, uh, before he got in the UFC, so people were expecting that. That's what he did his first couple fights. But it was pretty ridiculous in the sense of he would gas out. He lost to to Tristan Conley, a, a fighter he should have never lost to. He even got disqualified against uh, Diego Sanchez, pardon me. And, you know, he's, he's fighting these guys that he should just blow through. And there's a lot of questions about him. And he went back to the drawing board in his last couple fights. Man, he's finally honed honed in on, on on what brought him to the UFC, which is his dynamic striking, but not being wild, being more composed now. And you're seeing it's it's a it's been a benefit for him. You know, he continues to move up the rankings. He's he's getting bigger and bigger fights. He's on, on main cards now. And I expect him to come out here. This should be a fun fight, it should be an entertaining fight, but I expect him to 
to knock out uh, Fialo here. Uh, the calculated power that I'm seeing from him in his last couple fights, I think will be the difference because Fialo's going to come forward. He's going to get in boxing ranges. Pieda wants, you know, he, he wants him to come in the range. He's going to be able to pick him apart and, and land the power. So I expect Pieda to, to show out here, get another win. This should be, I believe, three in a row for him and we'll set him up to, to fight a ranked opponent in his, in his next match. All right, so I'll stuff on that one. Let's jump over to the two big fights that everybody's probably going to end up, you know, really probably buying this pay-per-view for, and that's going to be Brandon Moreno. He's going to end up taking on Davidson Figueredo. This will be the trilogy. We saw the last one there, Gene. I was on Figueredo in the last fight. I was wrong. Didn't think that uh, – I didn't think Moreno could probably go in there and kind of try to solve that puzzle. But, you know, watching that second fight, I watched that fight two times after – I think the puzzle ended up being Moreno. I know I it was like Figueredo seemed like he had no answer. After I originally saw the fight, Gene, I, I kind of felt like it was lopsided. And then when I watched it the second time, I'm like, all right, maybe it wasn't as lopsided as I thought. And I watched it a third time and I'm like, you know what? It really wasn't that lopsided. Just Moreno just he beat him. And I think it was it was really just that simple. I don't think there was really there was really no secret. What I felt was like Moreno became a little bit troublesome for Figueredo to, to kind of figure out. And if Moreno comes in, you know, because he's quick, like he, he can he can throw punches, he can throw kicks, he's quick. And I don't think Figueredo kind of, you know, from the first fight to the second fight, that maybe he didn't make any adjustments. Maybe he felt like he didn't even need to train. I don't know. But it seems like Figueredo now has, a, has you know, a lot of confidence again. Uh, he's been training hard. I wonder if Moreno comes into this fight with that same type of puzzle that it seemed like Figueredo couldn't figure out. You know, the odds are saying, you know, Moreno minus 175 that, that he's going to win the fight. But we know how these things go. Nothing's ever for sure. But I have to go back to, you know, I watched this fight three times, the second fight. And it just looked to me like Moreno was just extremely hard to figure out for Figueredo. And it was like whatever Figueredo tried to do. It just didn't work, and I'm just like, I, I have to keep going back to that, and I understand guys change their game plan, and we've seen that, you know, how many times in, in rematches or trilogy fights where, you know, a guy might have looked really bad, and then he comes in, and he, and, he, and he looks really good. So, you know, for me, it's going to come down to Figueredo has to figure out a way to figure out that Moreno puzzle, and I'm sure he can do it, Gene, but I just don't know if he will. So I'm going to go with the guy that, that looked like he was – just a tougher out in the last fight, and that was Moreno. So that's kind of my thoughts on it. I don't feel strong on it, Gene, because I liked Figueredo in the last fight. You know, we talked about him. We talked about the talent that he has. But for me, it's just there's a there's a puzzle there. I didn't see it being figured out. And, you know, maybe when I watch this one, you know, maybe I could watch the first round and go, you know what, maybe he's got to figure it out. Maybe there's a different approach there because I have the, you know, the, the three fights that I watched fresh in my mind and I kind of know I'll kind of know what looks different you know when this fight actually starts so it's kind of where my mind's at right now that's just kind of how I'm feeling don't feel super strong about it yeah I'm looking forward to this fight man if um if the first two fights are any indication we're in for an absolute war between these two flyweights the first fight was a barn burner ended up in a draw because of a legal blow by Figueredo but 
you know, he clearly won that first fight. Two of the judges had it three to two, and then one judge had it four to one. I personally had it four to one, so I thought he should have won even with the point deduction, but it ended up being a draw. Figueredo, you know, kept the title. They set up the rematch, and Figueredo just, he didn't look right. Um, there was a lot of talk about he had a, a tough weight cut. He was distracted. You know, he had his title went down, you know, back to Brazil and was just a big superstar, was really distracted by some of that the adoration he was getting from from his hometown. And um and it showed. I mean, he just did not look like the same fighter. The the fighter that we saw run through Benavides, run through Alex Perez, and then, you know, pretty I wouldn't say run ran through, but had a very good showing and beat, in my opinion, you know, in, in the judge's opinion, without that legal that legal blow in that point deduction beat Moreno the first time. So um, it was, it was definitely weird, you know, and I went back and watched it too, because watching it live it, it, to me, it just felt like Moreno just dominated him and watched it again. I said, yeah, this was a little bit closer than, than I thought, but definitely when Moreno started implementing the wrestling and the grappling, it was almost like Figueredo was just tired and almost gave up. You know, it, it kind of reminded me when I was watching it of, uh, Conor McGregor with Nate Diaz when he got choked out or against Khabib or even Amanda Nunes in the last pay-per-view where Juliana Pena choked her out. She like just kind of gave up and just gave her her neck instead of really fighting it. So that's what I took from it. And naturally, uh, like you said, those rematches, you see the person who lost, they tend to show out or show better. You know, we know that especially like NBA finals or NBA series in general, that zigzag, you know, you, you got the team that won. They don't really feel like they need to change anything because they won, you know, the team that lost, you know, they're back to drawing board, figuring out what the hell they need to do to win. And uh, I, I think you're going to see that with Figueredo here. And, and so now let me get into the meat and potatoes of my breakdown on this thing. So he loses, right? And obviously he, he feels the need to, to change things up. And boy, did he change things up this time. So he, he moved his training camp from the U.S., or pardon me, from the U.S., from Brazil to the U.S. to fight ready MMA in Arizona. So he's training with Henry Cejudo. Um, fight ready is just one of the best camps in, in all of MMA right now. Uh, making that sacrifice, this is a key. This isn't like, hey, fight camp for a couple months. No, he's he's in the U.S., in Arizona for the past four months, four-plus months. So he left his family down in Brazil it just goes to show you like this guy really wants it. You know, he could have gone back down to Brazil and just did the same thing. He could have split his time between Brazil and the U S like a lot of fighters will do. No, he's, he moved in with Henry Cejudo. He's living with Henry Cejudo. If you know, we all know the type of fighter Henry Cejudo is and how disciplined he is. And from the pictures, from the articles you read, this guy's focus, Figueredo, and he looks like he's in shape too. You know, he's always had issues cutting down the flyweight. He he's big for the for the division, hence the reason why he's having a lot of success in the division and why he was a former champion. And he looks great. I mean, he looks focused. He looks like he's ready to get this belt back this belt back. And so just based off of that, I like Figueredo. But when you add in this, this was the key for me. You know, Figueredo in the first fight, over minus 300 favorite. He won that fight, again, like I said. You know, technically a draw, obviously, but he won the fight. And then without that point deduction. Comes into the second fight, 
He has the distractions and weight cutting issues. He's over a 200 uh, favorite in that fight. He loses the title. Now you come to the third fight and he's he's a 155 underdog. I just it's an overreaction in my opinion. Figueredo across the board is the better fighter. Um, that's the reason why he was such a big favorite in the first two matchups. He's a better, more device, uh, diverse striker. He possesses more fight-changing power. He's a good grappler, strong transitional ground skills, and you add in that he has a nasty fight-finishing uh, guillotine that he he used he used against Benavides, against Alex Perez, and he almost got Moreno in in the same thing in the second fight as well. So, um. As you could tell, you know I'm I'm super excited. I've been I've been really breaking this this fight down. So I just the value is on Figueiredo here. I, I I don't understand why Moreno is such a big favorite. You know you're finding like minus one seventy five, one eighties out there. I just I don't see it. I I, I don't see it. Um, if you want to make Moreno the favorite because he's a champ and he sh- he had a really good showing in the last fight, that's cool. But you know, I would expect more of like a, a minus one twenty five, minus one thirty, something like that, where it's you know almost a coin flip fight. And I'm getting plus one fifty five on, on the guy that I just think is clearly the better fighter. Uh, what Moreno has for going for him, yeah, he's a, he is a slick boxer. He has a granite chin, so that's the thing. Figueiredo hits him with you know crazy power in the first fight. Moreno hung around second fight. You know, Moreno ended up using his grappling and wrestling to avoid the power. So you got to look out for that. You know, you know he's going to be in the fight. I, I don't think Figueiredo finishes him via knockout, but Moreno is hittable. You never know. So possibly he gets knocked out. But you know, this is going to be a five round fight. And now that I'm seeing this guy uh, refocused, in shape, I, I think he's going to last. And I think I think he's going to show. I think this is going to be like the first fight. I think he will clearly win three rounds, if not four rounds, and get the uh, unanimous decision. So the pick is Figueiredo. Uh, I think he gets his belt back. I can't fault you for that, Gene. And it's it, I'm glad you got to watch it, you know, the second time. You get to watch it second time around. It was like, you know, you kind of felt like it was lopsided the first time you saw it. And then the second time you saw it, you're like, you know what? It really wasn't that that far apart. And I agree with you. Figueredo looked like he kind of just gave up. And that's what puts me on Moreno was like, when you see a guy just give up, I feel like, you know, that there's a, like he knows the puzzle and he just, he's not going to figure it out. And I think that that was why he ended up you know, kind of just giving up his back in that, you know, in the second fight. And I think you make a lot of sense. Like the value is probably on, on Figueredo here. You know, we got to go back to, you know, the card that these guys fought on. And that was on the Adesanya Vittori too. There was a lot of promotion behind that fight. Like that was a, that was a pretty hyped card. And I think everybody kind of remembers you know, Moreno standing in the middle of the octagon, you know, crying when he had the belt wrapped around him. Like, that was a big moment. Not only was that a big moment for him, but that was a big moment for, you know, UFC fans at that particular time. And we were going all the way back to the summer, you know, where, you know, we've been in the, you know, kind of stuck in, in this COVID crap for, it seems like, forever. But, you know, there was no NFL season. That NBA season was, like, wrapping up. Like, that was a big card for, like, you know, not, not just UFC fans, but, you know, sports betters in general. And I believe, look, sports betting has expanded a lot into the UFC over the last two years with COVID because of how, uh, just how amazing the UFC's done. So look, maybe Moreno's a little bit overvalued here for sure. Maybe he's overvalued a lot, you know, I, I and that's why the 175 
makes me just like it a little bit. You know, if it were maybe minus 125, maybe I would say, yeah, okay, cool, you know, lay a unit on it. But, and I think that that's one of the things that, that we're going to kind of experience with the UFC is we're going to have those, you know, those, those aha kind of moments and people are going to remember that and that's what they're going to bet on. And I think that this is, uh, this is probably a perfect example of that. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And, they, you know, that's why I was shocked by this line. I just, I, I thought it wasn't overreaction. I thought, again, you, you see those highlights with him crying, like you, you pointed out, first Mexican champ. He's a lovable guy, you know. He's, he's, he's a happy-go-lucky fighter, you know. He's not your typical brute, you know, mean mugging. Like, the guy is super happy. He's, he loves Legos, you know, after he won, after he won the, the title all you know mma junkie mma fight you know you go through all the mma websites they're all talking about how this guy loves legos and how he's a real uh, chill guy and then the ufc ends up getting him a, a lego belt and you're seeing all these pictures and it was a, it was a great story you know and um and the guy's the guy's a great fighter i mean there's a reason he he beat figueredo fair and square and he earned he earned that tail shot as well you know he grinded and got to that to that point, I mean, he's definitely a legit challenger for Figueredo, but um, like you um, hinted at, or like you said, I, I totally agree. I, I I believe that the public, that's the last fight they saw. They're caught up in all the hoopla around that, around that win. And, and, and they like him, you know, and Davidson Figueredo, we spoke before the podcast, you know, this guy is from Brazil. He, he doesn't really speak too much English and it's hard for a lot of times for these type of fighters to relate to the American public and to get, you know, to end up becoming a superstar in the UFC. As much as we love Jose Aldo, you know, he's one of the greatest featherweights of all time. Like that's what always held him back is, you know, he, he didn't speak Spanish. It was always Portuguese. He always had a translator. So he never ascended to that like superstar status that you see some other fighters who don't even have close to the accolades that he has that you know they're in that superstar status so um so i'm not shocked that people kind of forgot about davison figueredo and i think part of that is him staying quiet and you know nose to the grindstone trying to get his belt back but um for me that that's what led me down the path of um of picking figueredo because i just feel like you go back and watch that fight and that second fight in, in combination with the first fight shit you know you watch that first fight you see him win clearly and then that second fight, you're like, man, he got dominated. You go back and watch it. He's like, no, this he really didn't. He just he had a bad showing in that third round and kind of gave up. And if you know about his weight cutting issues and things of that nature, you can't fault him. If you believe in the guy and the skills, you know you believe that he's gonna you know come back better better than ever. So that that's why I ended up um, ending ended up picking him. And you know this will lead us into the title fight, which you know you're about to bring up is. I feel like some of that's happening here with with uh, with the challenger with Gon. All right, so let's go ahead and let's just jump right into that. We got Francis Nagano, and we got Surreal Gon. Gon ten and zero. You know he's been in the UFC for what seven fights now. Uh, fast track to fast track to the title. You know Gon's going to be minus one fifty five. I bet this at minus one ten. I took Gon early. Um, I think he wins this fight there, Gene, and. I could let you get into the kind of the X's and O's and, and the fight stuff, but I think a lot of things with this one in, in general, I think Gon was fast-tracked to the title. And I think it was for a reason. I pers- And this, this is just my opinion. I don't think Dana 
wants Nagano being his champion, not the heavyweight champion. I don't believe they get along. There's a lot of contract stuff going on. We know Dana doesn't like when, when guys come out there and they start, you know, mouthing off about contracts and money and this and that and the other. This card hasn't even seemed like it's been promoted, like this title fight. I've seen more stuff from Nagano on Twitter with, you know, this ad and this company and this sponsorship. And it's just been, it's been not all, all of that. The biggest promotion that this fight has had was this little sparring match between them. But I haven't even seen Nagano post anything when it came to, you know, training or anything like that, which is, you know, rather surprising. But I just wonder where his head's at right now. And I feel like, you know, he's fought like what, three times in the last three years? Gon's fought like three times to Nagano's one. I mean, the UFC has been a nonstop locomotive since COVID started. And we haven't really seen a whole lot of Nagano. And look, he's he he won the twi- title. Give him credit for that. But he hasn't defended it. I don't think that's what Dana wanted. And I think that he's, you know, we, we know that Nagano has one fight left on his contract. And I feel like, you know, Dana's kind of holding him hostage a little bit. Like, look, you're going to, if you want to be the, if you want to be the champ and you want, you know, all this money and you want all these accolades, well, then you need to fight more. Um, you're not just going to sit, and I feel like, this is just my opinion, like Naganu has completely milked him being the champion. And I don't believe that that's what Dana wanted. And he was like, you know what, I'll just fast track. Like, Gon could have fought Tybura. He could have fought Lewis. He could have went in there and fought a bunch of guys. I mean, he, he could have fought a bunch of guys in there. Yeah, he, you know, he was in there with Rosenstruck or whatever, Volkov. But it was like... How many guys do you see that have, you know, seven fights in the UFC end up fighting for the heavyweight title? It was like, it seems fishy to me. I don't think the relationship is very good there. And I think that if Dana could handpick, you know, who he wants to be his heavyweight title champion, he either wants Gon or he wants John Jones. And in order for uh, Nagano to, you know, go ahead and, and look, he can go out there and win this fight. And Dana's probably going to have to pay the man. And I get it. And he's like, you know what? John, bring in John Jones next. Whatever. Yeah, somebody's going to eventually knock off Nagano. Another thing that just clogs my mind up here with Nagano is the fact that, like, he has one fight on his contract left, but then you're calling out guys like Tyson Fury. It seems to me like he's trying to ink a, a big money deal before he even fights for the for fights for the title, and then ends up with a new deal. Look, I think he loses. That's just what how I feel. I think he goes back to just making normal, regular money. I think he kind of knows that. And he's trying to milk this thing for everything that he possibly can, trying to go ahead and say, oh, I'll throw my hat in the ring over here with uh, you know, Tyson Fury. It's like, well, you know, you don't want me to do that, Dana. And it was like, well, here, I'll put you in the ring with this guy and see how you make out. And I, I it just – it all feels really, really bad for, for Nagano, at least – you know, outside of the ring inside, look, he, he's got power that'll, you know, put you to sleep. And we know that gene, like that's, but I worry about his gas tank and I worry about somebody like gone who he can move around however he wants. Like if Nagano does if he can get through the first round, but I don't think there's any way that Nagano could beat him because I have a feeling he'll be chasing gone around in the first round. Like if gone has any type of uh game plan, it's don't be within range, you know, 
while he has all that power. And we've seen Agano gas right out. I mean, go back through and look at at some. I mean, go look at some of the fights he's he's gassed out. I don't think this goes the distance, and I think that there was a wager that I really was considering. I think it was minus three forty to go the distance to the null. I would actually lay that. I I don't see how this goes the distance. If if Nagano wins, he's going to knock out Gone. And if Gone wins, I think it's going to end up getting stopped because I don't see how Nagano has any legs or any any energy. Now, could Gone take the whole? You know, we saw when he fought. Um, Rosenstroke, like how just boring that that fight was so boring. It was like he could have killed Rosenstruck in that fight, but he just he chose not to. And I don't think he's gonna choose to do that here. Like he wants to make a statement, and I just believe that you know if, if Nagano and I think that this is this is what's gonna happen. He's gonna wear out middle of the second round, and I think that's it. Gone just picks him apart, and eventually this one just gets stopped. Um, but I I really think. To not go the distance is a great bet, and gone at minus 155. Like I said, I bet it at minus 110, so um, if anybody's betting it now, there's you know a lot of lost value, but that's the only way I can go, Gene. I think that everything's being set up for Nagano to fail, and I believe that everything he's done outside the ring has been for his own benefit um, financially, and that's what worries me. I see more focus with gone. Less focused with Nagano with task at hand. And I think he's looking for, here's what I got out of this for the last year. And I'm trying to set up everything for after this fight if this doesn't work out. Because I think he realizes he's in there with a the real guy. Um, and I'm not saying like Stipe wasn't a real guy, but we know that Gon's a real guy. We've been talking about him for what, uh, two years now. So that's where my mind's at with that. Just don't like what I see from Nagano. I don't like... I don't think Dana likes him, to be honest with you. I don't think he wants him to be his champion. And we've seen guys, Gene, over the last two years, fight two, three, four times. They're on Twitter every day barking at each other. They want to get in the ring. They want to fight. They want to get paid. And it was like Nagano just sat on the sidelines just, you know, waiting. I mean, we had to give an interim title away. So it's like, I don't know. It like, just doesn't feel right to me. It doesn't feel like he's the champion. I don't, I don't think... I think, you know, the banners that we see on the on ESPN Plus that has Nagano's face on it, come Monday morning, they'll all be gone. I think it'll be gone that's on there. So that's where I'm at with the fight. Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot to react to there. I'll, I'll start off with the, the relationship with the with the UFC and Dana White. I, I completely agree with you on that. Um, I, I felt like that started after the Stipe, the first fight. Uh, title fight where he lost and then you know in between that shortly after he fought um, Derek Lewis and just had a lackluster performance where he he was frozen in time should have never lost to Derek Lewis but he loses a, a unanimous decision to Derek Lewis and Dana was talking some crap you know saying like this guy got too big for his britches um, thought that he was king shit that type of thing and that was like the beginning of it and then escalated he ends up winning the the title and he won the title uh, march of 2021 the ufc went to houston in august i believe of 2021 so you know five months i think it was august or september so you got five six months later normally 
if you're a champion, you fight you fight two times a year, three times if you're lucky, but it's normally two times. They, you know, once you're champion, they they want you to get full camps in, and you, you kind of milk it. But the UFC was desperate, you know, with COVID and everything. They're trying to put on big pay per views. They made a commitment to the city of Houston, and Derek Lewis was next up, right? He was a top contender. His hometown is Houston, so they wanted Nganu to defend the title against Derek Lewis in Houston. Nganu said, "No, I'm not ready yet." You know, I need a little bit, bit more time. Give me, I think he said September, October is what he said. And the UFC's like, it's just not going to work. You know, we need to get you in there against Derek Lewis. Like, we have to maximize, you know, Derek, uh, Derek Lewis in his hometown. And the second he said no, the UFC just moved on and and, and set up that interim title fight between Gon and, and, and Lewis. You know, I think one of the problems there, Gene, too, is like that John Jones was supposed to make his, you know, return. And almost at that time, it was like he ends up in trouble. And it was like there was like now there was even more of a vacant hole there. So I think maybe that had to, something to do maybe with a little bit of a, you know, maybe the sour taste that, that Dana had in his mouth, too. That's just my opinion. Yeah. And, and I and I wonder, honestly, you know, whatever. I don't remember what Nagano specifically say, said. He said he wasn't ready. I guarantee that was money. I guarantee, you know, he was like, you know, screw you. You're trying to turn me around in five months and defend my title when all the other champions at least get six months. And then for the UFC, for the UFC to slap an interim title for a, a, a champion not fighting after five months is unheard of. It's, it's normally if the fighter's injured or the fighters, um, you know, they're suspended or something crazy like that. They're out for a year. It's never after six months. I mean, it's absurd. And, but Dana White was defending it, you know, pretty hard why he had an interim title set up and he didn't care. You know, he was just kind of like, screw you Francis to the, you know, in the media. So yeah, they, they have an issue. And then Francis comes out. I have not seen a fighter being this open and honest about their contract situation going into a major title fight like this. I mean, it's pretty crazy. And then, you know, Tyson Fury BS, all that stuff. So I'm with you. I mean, you, you see that this guy is trying to set up, he's trying to set up life, outside the UFC or just trying to use this as a negotiating tactic because Tyson Fury really wants his fight. I mean, Tyson Fury is, you know, one of the biggest names in all of combat sports right now, if not the biggest. So I don't know how much money Tyson Fury would make. He would obviously be the A side in that it would probably be a 80, 20 split, but, but let's be realistic. If Nagano can't last, if he can't beat Derek Lewis, and he gasses out in the second or third round. Tyson Fury just beat Wilder. Not only did he beat him twice, he beat him three times or whatever. However you want to, you know, however people want to go ahead and. But like, look, man, Wilder's a killer. That dude will freaking kill you. He what knocked out ninety eight percent of the people he fought. He fought thirty times, and Tyson Fury knocked him out and beat him not once but twice. Nagano doesn't he doesn't want to get in the ring with a guy like that. The only reason why he wants to get in there is for a paycheck. And I get it, but at some point, I think some of these UFC fighters are biting off more than they can chew. Like, look, you make fun of Jake Paul all you want, but he knocked Tyrone Woodley into a different atmosphere. Tyson Fury could kill a guy like Nagano if he steps in the ring and Tyson Fury is like, You want to fight me, I'll fight you straight up. He could kill that guy. And that's not that's that's reality. I know how big Nagano is, but you can't go in there and gas out in the third round and sit there and just be a punching bag for somebody like Tyson Fury because he'll put a beating on you. 
And there's a chance, you know, if, if he can knock out Wilder, you know, he he put some serious damage on a guy like Nagano. So I think that's a major mistake. Um, look, maybe it'll be worth the paycheck. He'll never have to fight again a day in his life if, if he gets enough money. But Fury's going to take 80% of that purse, that's for sure. Yeah, and then the UFC, you know, because Nagano's still under contract with them, the UFC's going to take a percentage too, just like they took a percentage from McGregor when he fought uh, Mayweather. Yeah, it, it's – yeah, I, I say all this to just more um, highlight the rift and the positioning and the negotiating tactics by both sides. I completely agree with you. Nagano has no business in, in, in a boxing ring with Tyson Fury. He won't even last one round with Tyson Fury. Um, it w- it's Yeah, it would be a bloodbath. There's just there's no point. He's totally doing it just because he wants that money. You know, he's hoping that he can pull a McGregor and, you know, because he's a big name, he's this larger than life guy with in, a, incredible physique and, and, and knockout power that he can parlay that into, you know, a, a boxing match with arguably, you know, the greatest heavyweight of all time, or, you know, one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. So it would make sense, Gene, if Nagano had an aurora around him, like McGregor did, I could think of, 20 different guys right now in UFC that are a bigger star than Nagano. I agree with you. So it's like, well, what are you doing? So I could see, and that was my whole point. It was like, you you seem like you're going about everything wrong, milking this whole thing. And that's why Dana just fast track gone. He was like, just go take care of this and, and, and get her over with. That's that. And I think who knows the fight game better than anybody is going to be Dana. Like he's going to know, if I need to get rid of this guy or I need this guy to, to whatever, I can put him in there with this guy, and that's the end of that. And we've seen that before. We've seen lopsided matchups put together, and I don't necessarily think it's a lopsided matchup, but I do believe that if there is one guy that could take care of Nagano, it's it's probably gone. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Now, listen, he, lo- he, lo- he loves Nate Diaz. You know, Nate Diaz brings him in money, but at the end of the day, it's about the future. And he was trying to put Nate Diaz in there with Kamzat Chemaev. And Kamzat Chemaev would absolutely destroy Nate Diaz. He would he'd destroy him under two minutes, under one minute of the first round. And why? Here we go again. Nate Diaz is on. He has one more fight on his contract. That's what the UFC does. They've been doing it forever, for decades, where they, you know, they got a fighter that's on the last fight of the contract. They try to use his name. Um, to put over the younger fighter, the up-and-coming fighter, because, you know, be, let's be honest, the amount of money that Nate Diaz is making, I don't really know if it's worth it for the UFC um, outside of a couple fights. Um, so they would just let him walk, you know, at the end of the day. So, um, uh, but yeah, so I, long story short, that so I just think what's going on, I agree. I, I don't like this stuff. It seems like Francis is slightly... Um, distracted um you know he's bringing up his contract he's and he has no he's not being shy about it. he's being very honest open about the negotiations and things of that nature so that's definitely a negative going to this fight like i i don't like that and if he loses you know i'll be the first to say that probably was a factor in, in him losing he wasn't focused but um when it comes to like in the cage you know, Cyril Gaon, there's a reason why he's fast-tracked. The guy's incredible. I mean, he is – He's to say he's a unique heavyweight or a talent in the heavyweight division is an understatement. We haven't seen a heavyweight like this in UFC history. I mean, the guy hits like a heavyweight, looks like a heavyweight, but he moves like a bantamweight. 
switches stances, in and out movement, fluid striking. Um, it, it's effortless. I mean, the guy is, is, is spectacular. For me, there are some holes there. Um, and there's a couple things that I think is a misperception about Francis Naganu. Early in his career, you know, you saw him gas. You have the Derek Lewis debacle. But since that Derek Lewis debacle, you know, he's won five straight, five by KO. But each fight, he's gotten better. And where it really changed is when he went with um, Extreme Couture and, and, and Coach Nixick in 2019. And you've seen the evolution. And it really shined in the uh, title fight against uh, Miocic, where, you know, Stipe, you figure Stipe's going to come out and wrestle him. You know, he did. He came out and tried to wrestle. Francis Naganu had great takedown defense. Um, he actually reversed some positions and was able to take uh, Stipe down. He was much more patient on the feet and defensively sound as well. Uh, he wasn't rushing, looking to knock out. He was using he was using his jab a lot more, and his jab was actually hurting Stipe. And then when the opportunity came to knock Stipe out, he did. You know, he he didn't miss with that check hook. And um, I just I think there is just a perception of this guy. You see these highlight <clears throat> these highlight real knockouts. Um, that's all they show, and it's like, oh, this guy's just a, a first rounder, but. He, he's he's lasting longer in his fights, and especially in that title fight. I, f- I feel like that was a culmination you know, up until this point of his career of like what type of fighter he is and what going to a legit – you know, I spoke about fight ready earlier with Figueredo. I think that's going to do wonders for him, um, not only in this fight but moving forward. And it's the same thing with Naganu. Like you've seen the transformation as a fighter for Naganu uh, in the patience by going with extreme couture and Nitzik. Um, the, the thing for me when it comes, so he, he, it's a coin flip fight. I mean, like, so the odds are way too, are, are too wide in my opinion. You got, you got great odds and you say you got minus 110. That was available like literally a week ago. Maybe it was a week and a half ago. So it's, it's crazy how quickly the lines have, have shifted. And again, I kind of feel like it's that recency bias. Like you see Gone, you see his physique, you see how his in and out movements and all that stuff. You're like, man, how is Naganu? Naganu doesn't knock him out. Like that's all he's got. I don't believe that. And I, and I think his past couple of fights have shown that that's not the only thing that he has is just that knockout power. But I'll tell you what, if he lands one punch on Gone, Gone's going out. I mean, this guy has ridiculous power. It's not like that's the only thing he has. So, um, now on the on the Gan side, really quick, the reason why I want to this is why I ultimately sided with Nagano. I I was going back and forth. I jumped on Nagano at plus one thirty, and I'm not gonna lie, I was nervous after that. I I I really started to dive in, even though I had already done my research. I I had to dive in a little bit more and, and listen to some other guys that I respect in the industry, and really see like, did I make was I crazy for taking this guy? Like, why is this guy plus 130? This is the champion. He's dangerous. He's gotten better. He's with a great camp. Um, and the one thing that I found is the defensive prow- prowess of Serial Gan. Yes, at range, he is amazing. He uses his mo- his his um, his footwork. But when he gets – the one thing that he always does, and you see, you saw this in the Derek Lewis fight. You saw this in the Rosenstrike fight. He likes to clinch. It's almost like a. It's almost like a reset for him. It's almost like, I don't. I don't. Yeah, it's a reset. You know, simply put, it's a reset. Like he has to reset for whatever reason. So he gets in close, tries to get the guy against the cage, 
I don't think you want to do that with Nagano. Nagano is going to work the body. Nagano has knockout power. All it takes is one punch. Um, so that was one factor. So I was like, okay, so Nagano is going to have chances. Even if Gan tries to stay on the outside, he's still going to engage with him at some points in each round because he likes to reset in the clinch. Then the other thing that was huge, huge, huge when I was going back and looking, he has a propensity because he has that movement and he's able to avoid strikes. He keeps his hands down and his chin up, especially when the when his opponent is throwing some some wild punches. He he backs up with his chin up in the air. Um, Nagano has a two inch reach advantage in this fight, um, and if you go back and watch that Rosenstrike fight in Nagano. You know, um, Rosenstrike was doing the same thing, backing up as Nagano was coming in, swinging wildly. It just took that one punch, that clip, Rosenstrike, and he was done. Um, so I, that's another thing that I could see happening is even if they are at range and Nagano starts to kind of flurry, you know, Gan has a propensity to keep his hands down and his chin up as he's as he's moving out of the pocket. So uh, and you don't want to do that against Nagano. Um, so long story short, obviously I already – you know, gave it out. You know, I, I took Nagano. I just, I think at the end of the day, I think this guy is just being underestimated in the sense of his, his skills as an MMA fighter. I th- again, I think that people look at him as just a one punch knockout artist. That's it. And I'm here to tell you, that's not what he is. You know, he mixes in those late kicks. He's, his takedown defense is really good. He's good in the clinch. And again, that knockout power, it's, it's, it's it's never been seen in, in the UFC. No one has this type of power. You know, you get these guys, big punch, whatever. Kamaru Usman, one punch on Masvidal. It's like, cool. You know, anyone can knock anyone out. But, like, Nagano just has to touch you a little bit, and you're going down. So um, I got Nagano here. I think, again, like the Figueredo, I think the value is there. At plus 130, you're getting the champ. You're getting a guy that continues to get better. You got a guy with a great camp, great coaches that have – that's shown to – uh, their coaching has has shown to work on, on this incredible fighter. So, um, but I'll be I, I'd be lying to say if I'm super confident in it. You know, uh, I'm definitely nervous. Gone if he if Gone shows out and just picks Nagano apart, I would not be surprised, man. And if that happens, Gone's gonna reign for a long time. But uh, I, I just think Nagano is gonna knock him out. So the, my pick is Nagano. All right, so Gene's gonna go with Nagano. We're on opposite sides. Gene, this is like a first time I think. Where we had a, uh, you know, the the main fight and and the co-main where we were on opposite sides, so should be interesting. Yeah, I think one of my only, and I'll just throw this in. This is like my final, probably like my final concern here, is that if this thing gets in the third round, like Nagano hasn't won when, you know, he's he's got to win in the first and second round, and I feel like the movement, just the movement from Gone. If he can just stay away from that danger zone and drag him into those rounds, it's going to be trouble. And that's kind of just where my thoughts at is that just Nagano just hasn't been there. And uh, and look, I, I guess you could say the same thing for Gon. Like, yeah, he has a couple of five round fights, but you know he hasn't been in. You know, these are bright lights. You know, and and maybe maybe he acts completely different. You know, we don't know, but. It should be interesting, Gene. So we're on opposite sides. I'll be texting you. You'll be texting me. We'll both be talking crap. So it'll be interesting. But uh, I'm glad we got Gene on the podcast. Hopefully you guys go ahead, uh, get some of uh, you know Gene's wealth of information there and make some money. 
Um, we'll be back, obviously, for UFC 271. We'll go ahead. We'll break that one down. That one should be interesting. Uh, we got Adesanya and Whitaker, too. So and myself and Gene will be excited to go ahead and break that one down for you guys. But you know where to find us on Twitter, SleepyG underscore pregame at MeanGene0022. And you guys can always get us at thebettingpredators.com and on the best sports betting information site on the web, pregame.com. With that said, I'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck. Enjoy the games. <laughs>